not made with hands oh won't you come and go along we will sing the sweetest song ever played upon the harps in glory land oh the thought to me is sweet that my loved ones i eat at the ending of the journey here below it seems i hear their voices blend in a world without an end i won't worry when the time shall come to go cause i need no mansion here below for jesus said that i could go to a home beyond the clouds not made with hands oh won't you come and go along we will sing the sweetest song ever played upon the harps in glory land when jesus comes to claim his own i will move to my new home i'll walk and talk with him upon the streets of gold a mansion there is waiting me soon its beauty i will see in that sea where we never shall grow old I need no mansion here below for Jesus said that I could go to a home beyond the clouds not made with hands oh won't you come and go along we will sing the sweetest song ever played upon the harps in glory land oh won't you come and go along we will sing the sweetest song ever played upon the harps in glory land chapter number 13 yeah we're still on david and I hope it's been a help. I hope it's been a blessing. Man, I, I went into extra innings the other night. I still believe that's Brother Jamie's fault. He gouged me about putting new batteries in. And I ain't got new batteries tonight. So anyhow, I hope it'll be a help, encouragement to you. I will say this. I believe that, well, I know I need this. I believe this message will be centered right where we are, as most, about all messages are. Right now, you say, well, and you might be doing pretty good, and maybe you are dealing with This might be a corrective uh, message. It might be a preventative message. But nonetheless, it's a message that God laid on our heart. A lot of things that I could have drew out of 2 Samuel 13, but there was one thing that really just stuck in my mind. And we're going to read a lot of Scripture again this evening. And I'm going to give you a couple thoughts, and we'll go to the house tonight. But notice 2 Samuel chapter 13. We've been looking at the life of David, and I'm going to give you, a, a, I guess, an add to this. This is a growing outline that I started with, I don't know, uh, 10 or 11 messages ago, just give you a shot, what I called a shotgun outline. I preached, just touched the, the high points going along. Well, 
there's been several that have added, and this is going to be a new one tonight with the life of David. We looked at his adolescent years, then we've looked at his adult years. We ain't got to his ancient years yet, but during his adolescent years, he was watching as a shepherd, and God used him. And if you remember that message, God is in the habit of using busy people. God is not in the habit of using lazy folks. You look at the folks that he called in the Bible, and David was not lazy. He was tending his father's sheep, and he'd done that in his adolescent years. So we could say, yeah, he, he spent those adolescent years watching as a shepherd, but also warring as a soldier, as a teenager. He faced that giant Goliath, First Samuel 17, everybody else, even including Saul, which stood head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. They were all scared to death of Goliath and and the Philistines, but boy, I'm glad David had enough God on him that he went down there and he faced that giant and slew that giant, not with the arm of the flesh, but he depended upon the Lord. And that's what you and I got to do as we fight these battles from day to day. But then we also see in his adolescent years, he spent a vast majority of that waiting on the sovereign Lord to fulfill his plan and purpose. He was anointed there in the house of Jesse for some 15 years before it finally came to fruition, and he is ruling over all of Israel. So he had done a lot of waiting. But then we looked at his adult years. He spent a lot of that running from Saul. Saul was after him. And then certainly he was ruling first in, in Hebron and then for seven and a half years and then in Jerusalem. And then we also find that he'd done some requesting nine times. And he'd done that more than that. But those nine times we looked at where he inquired of the Lord. Boy, it's important for you and I to inquire of the Lord. Too many times we take matters into our own hands and we do our own thing. We don't ask God and we get in trouble. And the only one we got to blame is just looking at mirror and it, it start, the answer staring right back at us because we made a mistake. We went on our own thing. You don't need to run ahead of God. You don't need to lag behind God. You need to be running right there in his perfect will. And, and David certainly was requesting. And then we looked how he spent a lot of those adult years robbing. What did he rob? He robbed Uriah of his wife Bathsheba and then eventually of his life. And boy, the hammer of God's judgment has failed in chapter number 12, we've looked at thus far. But again, I don't want to close on a negative note because he spent a lot of those adult years reviving. Thank God Psalm 51, we ain't even got there yet. We'll get there, Lord willing. If the Lord will permit one of my favorite passages in all the Word of God, it's got forgiveness written all over it. And all of us ought to rejoice because David stumbled. David failed, yet God restored him. God revived him. He's already a saved man. But he got revived, and that's what revival is. Revival's not when you have a thousand people saved, although it's a good opportunity for people to get saved. Revival's what God does with his people. And David needed reviving, and thank God he got it. Seeing it creep into his life, and we've already looked, man, he, he had to pay a heavy price. You think about the devouring sword before even reading 2 Samuel 13 and 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10, the judgment that fell upon David for his sin was this. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. God pronounced judgment upon his house. He said that sword, what does a sword do? A sword divides. A sword penetrates. And that's exactly the sword that has come to David's house. We read the last time together where Amnon has violated uh, his half-sister Tamar. And Tamar and Absalom were full brother and sister. They both had the same dad, David, and they had the same mother, Micah. 
uh, the, the daughter of, of Talmai, the king of Geshur. And you'll find that coming up in the text we're going to read tonight. And just think about this. We stopped at verse number 14 the other night. I want to pick up reading verse 15. It's right after this issue. Which I'm not going to go back and read the whole chapter, but I hope you got it the other night. If you didn't, you have to go back and listen, or you can read yourself. But in verse number 14, we understand the Bible said, Howbeit he would not hearken under her voice, but being stronger than she forced her and lay with her. Now that was Amnon. Now keep in mind, Amnon was the firstborn of King David. If you don't believe me, you go to 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse number 2. The Bible said that David had sons that were born to him there in Hebron. And the very first one was uh, this fellow here, Amnon. And again, Absalom and Tamar, full brothers and sisters. That's important to get as you go through. Now look at verse number 15. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise, be gone. Now you read very early on in chapter number 13, the Bible said that Amnon loved Tamar. But I believe it was more of lust than it was love. If he'd have been loved, he'd have never violated her like he did. And we see that unfolding in the text. And look at verse number 16. He just basically just throws her away like a piece of trash. Verse 16, And she said unto him, There is no cause. This evil in sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me, but he would not hearken unto her. Now, What's she talking about there? According to Deuteronomy chapter number 22, if a virgin has been violated, it's responsibility of the violator to pay a tribute unto the father and to marry her. But he sends her away. He don't want nothing else to do with her. Sin just bounds upon once upon another. But notice verse 17. Then he called his servant that ministered unto him. Now notice how he dresses her and said, Put now this woman. He didn't say put my sister out. Put Tamar out. He said, "Now this, put now this woman out for me and bolt the door after her. I mean, he was done with him. Boy, that, that's, that's what sin will do, by the way. He said, man, i got to have it, got to have it. In. Then when it's fulfilled, man, then, then, then there, there it is. You, the, the judgment starts falling, and this is what he's dealing with. Look at verse 18. And she had a garment of diverse colors upon her, for with such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins apparel. Then his servant brought her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head. And again, that's a symbol in the Old Testament of mourning. The Bible said she rent her garment of diverse colors that was on her. Another symbol of mourning in the Old Testament. And laid her hand on her head and went on crying. And Absalom, her brother, again her full brother, said unto her, Hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? But hold now thy peace, my sister, he is thy brother, regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very wroth. And I want to stop and say again, it's worth hitting this. David, when he finds out what's taking place, the heir to his throne, the firstborn Amnon, has violated his daughter Tamar. He's displeased. He's angry. But I find nowhere in the Word of God, Brother Kevin, where David lifted a finger to do anything as far as discipline unto his son. I think that's part of the problem. You read later on, later on in 1 Kings chapter number 1, 
Uh, Adonijah, he had another son the same way that he never disciplined. And boy, that got him in trouble. And it's important to discipline our children, whether it's verbal, sometimes it needs to be physical. I've said that before. There is the, 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 the board of correction, and there is the seat of knowledge, and it still works, man. It sure does. But I want you to notice as we read on here in the Word of God, the Bible said uh, in verse number 22, And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. What does that mean? He didn't say nothing to him. Now, there's a lot going through Absalom's mind. You'll see here in just a second. And it went in his mind for a long, long time. But he didn't say anything good or bad unto Amnon. He knew what has happened and what has taken place. And by the way, I still believe that's one of the roots of why Absalom, the main root is found in 2 Samuel 12, verse number 10, because of David's sin. David said, hey, the sword will never depart out of your household. But because David knew about what Amnon did under Tamar, Absalom's full-blooded sister, David didn't do a thing about it. And I believe there was some resentment that set up in Absalom. And that's why later on he rebels against his daddy for not doing anything to his brother for what he'd done to his sister. Now, notice here in verse 22, And Absalom spake unto his brother, Amnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. And I want you to note that word hated. I'm coming back to that in just a moment. Verse 23, and it came to pass after two full years. So at the beginning when this incident occurs and Amnon violates Tamar, Absalom didn't say anything good, didn't say anything bad unto Amnon. I don't believe he said a thing. But two full years have taken place, and the Bible said there in verse number 22 that he hated him. But notice the Bible said, verse 23, and it came to pass, after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Belhazor, which is beside Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold now, thy servant has sheep shears. Let the king, I beseech thee, and his servants go with thy servant. And the king said to Absalom, Nay, my son, let us not all now go, lest we be chargeable unto thee. What David is saying is, if I go, then all my, my chaperones and all my guard is going to have to go. All the other sons are going to go, and it's going to cost you a great deal, Absalom. That's what David is saying, but Absalom is inviting David to go. And the Bible said in verse 25, and he pressed him, howbeit he would not go, but blessed him. So David said, look, I'm not going to be able to go, but he gave him the blessing, and these other sons are getting ready to go. Look at verse 26, then said Absalom, if not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said unto him, why should he go with thee? Now keep in mind, David knows that Amnon is his firstborn. Absalom knows He's the first. All the brothers, all Israel knows that Amnon is heir to the throne. So when Absalom says, hey, let, let Amnon go with me, and David begins to question that. Well, what, basically, if we were to put it in Yadkin County English, why do why you want him to go? I mean, why do you want Amnon to go? Well, notice as we read on in... Uh, Verse number 27, but Absalom pressed him that he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, 
Mark ye now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say unto you, smite Amnon, then kill him. Fear not, have not I commanded you. Be courageous and be valiant. Verse 29 said, And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and every man got him up upon his mule and fled. We'll stop off reading right there. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you, Lord, again for the opportunity to pray. Thank you, Lord, for the good word of God. And I pray that you'd help this feeble preacher now to decrease that Jesus may be increased and lifted up. Lord, I ask you to have the preeminence now as we expound upon this scripture. I pray that you'd speak to my heart, speak to all of us. Lord, if this is a corrective measure, Lord, I pray that you deal with hearts. If it's a preventative measure, I pray that you deal with hearts. Lord, no doubt we're all going to deal with these subjects at some point or the other. And I pray, God, you'd help us. pray that you'd receive all honor and glory. Save that sinner to sneer his tail. And we'll be careful to give you thanks and praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we've read this text out of 2 Samuel, uh, chapter number 13. A very interesting account of the Word of God about Absalom and Amnon. And we find the death of Amnon. It can all be traced back to that devouring sword of David because of David's sin. Again, a lot of folks say, well, you know, I'm just hurting myself when I sin. No, it has a far-reaching effect in David's family. His whole house was affected because of his sin. Now, was David forgiven? Absolutely he was. But the consequences were still there. David was forgiven, yet that sword would never depart out of his household. And I said the other day, and you've heard preachers say this through the years, sin will take you farther than you want to go, it'll make you stay longer than you were intended to stay, and sin will make you pay a whole lot more than you were ever wanting to pay for that few moments of satisfaction or pleasure or whatever it is. But tonight, you know, I think about his adult years, we've looked at him running, we've looked at him ruling, we've looked at him requesting and robbing and reviving. I believe old David, and you, I, we'll get when we get to the ancient years when he was pinning down a lot of the Psalms. I believe he spent some of those adult years, Brother Howard, regretting. Regretting. You ever had any regrets? <laughs> you ever done anything you shouldn't have did? You ever not done anything that you should have did? <laughs> All of us have been there. You might as well say amen or oh me, but we've all been there. And if we live long enough, we'll have some more of those moments. But we want to minimize those regretful moments in our life. David never envisioned when he seen Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11 in verse number 1 and 2 out there she was giving herself a bath. He never saw down the road how that old sword that was going to divide and cut his household to pieces. But boy, it's unfolding here. Tamar's already been violated by Amnon. Two full years have elapsed and we see some things unfolding right here. No doubt that David regretted him. But you know, I got to thinking about this. Did you know there's several similarities between Absalom and David? I preached a message years ago out of the book of Acts uh, about Acts chapter number 7. So we're around there about the apple don't fall far from the tree where Stephen was preaching that crowd, he said, As you do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. The apple don't, always, don't fall too far from the tree. There's some similarities here at what Absalom did when you look back at what David did unto Uriah. You notice in your Bible tonight, look with me here in verse number 22 of 2 Samuel 13. And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, 
neither good nor bad. I see where he said nothing good, nothing bad unto Amnon. You go back and you don't have to, but you go back and you look. In 2 Samuel chapter number 11, David didn't really say anything good, didn't really say anything bad unto Uriah. He didn't. But at the end of the day, Uriah was dead. And after the end of two years, Amnon was dead. And there's some similarities there. Think about this. David also arranged Uriah's death. Just flip back for a moment. I am going to read this. 2 Samuel 11 and verse number 14. Notice what the Bible said. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. David arranged the death of Uriah. What about Absalom? What he do? Man, he done the same thing. He arranged the death of Amnon under the skies of going in. And when they would have those sheep shearings, it'd be like a big banquet. And, and of course, Amnon's coming to town. All the public relations being heir to the throne, firstborn, he's coming to town. It's going to be a big deal. It's going to be a big show that was put on. It was under that skies. And David said, man, why you want Amnon? And then Absalom, he got him and brought all the king's sons. And I believe that made David feel a little bit better. But David was deceived. But understand, Uriah was deceived. Amnon was deceived. No, Absalom arranged here for the death of Amnon. Notice in your Bible in 2 Samuel 13, verse 28. Now Absalom had commanded his servant, saying, Mark ye now when Amnon's heart is married with wine, and when I say unto you, Smite Amnon, then kill him. Fear not, have not I commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. Verse 19, you find it coming to pass. They did exactly what Absalom had did. Because keep in mind, there's two things. Brother Wayne, there's two things that's keeping Absalom, uh, or two things, two strikes against Amnon between him and Absalom. Number one, Amnon is the only one that's standing in, in line of Absalom becoming king. Number two, Amnon has violated Absalom's sister. So there's two things against him. And as we look at this, he has set this thing up. And why would the servants of Absalom touch the heir apparent? Because if Amnon dies... The guy that they're going to carry this out for is next in line to be king. You staying with me? You with me on that? So the similarities of David and Absalom. David spoke neither good nor bad to Uriah, and Absalom spoke neither good nor bad unto Amnon. David arranged Uriah's death. Absalom arranged Amnon's death. But watch this now. David used other hands indirectly to kill Uriah. Sure did. You study your Bible, you'll find where the Ammonites is really the ones that, 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 that hit him. They got too close to that wall, and those heirs and those swords, I mean, they ended up killing uh, Uriah. But David used, uh, it was at the hands of somebody else that committed the murder, but it could all be traced back to David. Same thing can be said about Absalom. Absalom never drew the sword. He never stuck it into Amnon. Although he hated him, when two years come to the end of it, 
Man, he didn't do it. He got other hands. His servants, according to verse number 28, but look at verse 29. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. You see the similarities between the two? But notice also that David used intoxicating drink on Uriah. He sure did. 2 Samuel 11 and verse uh, number 12. The Bible said, And David said to Uriah, Tarry ye today also and Tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day in the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. That's David. Made Uriah drunk. Kept giving it to him. Kept giving it to him. Made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the service of his Lord, but went not down to his house. Now why would David have done that to Uriah? Because those intoxicated drinks impair your thinking. Still do today. I don't care if it's a sip of wine or a beer or liquor. It's wicked. It's straight out of the pit of hell. The Bible said in the book of Proverbs, over there in chapter 20 or so, it talks about wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Man, again, I'm pretty fervent on that thing, man. It's wickedness. It's sin. It alters your mind. It makes you do things that you shouldn't do. It'll make you walk the way you shouldn't walk, talk the way you shouldn't talk, think the way you shouldn't and think and friend it's sin David used that he knew that he was aware of it boy that's one of the devil's greatest tools is to put that poison in your mouth and boy that's what happened David used it well what Absalom do well chapter number 13 and verse number 28 Bible said this, that Absalom had commanded his servants saying mark ye now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine then strike him why is that because he ain't going to be thinking clear yeah, man, those four things that took place. So just remember, Amnon was the firstborn, heir to the throne. Absalom was the full-blooded sister, sibling of Tamar, and Amnon was a half-brother of them both. And as we look at this, Absalom waited a long, long time, two years. Now, notice back, go back up with me in verse number 22, because here comes the message. All this other's been sort of introductory stuff. Verse 22, the Bible said, And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. You know, Absalom waited his time for two years. But that hatred basically turned into a smoldering and a slow burning inferno of anger deep inside. It didn't get better with time, it probably got worse. It festered. Bitterness began to set up in that root. And, you know, the Bible talks about in Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 15. Uh, said, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Some folks say, oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm bitter, and I got anger, and I got hatred against somebody, but I'm only affecting myself. Are you kidding me? You not only defile you, you defile those around you. Now, that's what the Bible said. You read Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 15. Well, this is going on, and he's got revenge on his heart. Brother Harold, I think he's waiting for that perfect time. And those two years, he, he thinks everybody's forgot about it. There's one ain't forgot about it. And, boy, his name is Absalom, and now revenge is on his mind. Can I just say a couple things before I give you the message? Did you know that hatred, unchecked, can give birth to murder. Let me say that again. Hatred that is unchecked 
can give birth to murder. Numerous accounts in the Word of God, you'll find that. And we see that's what took place right here because of Absalom's hatred for Amnon. Second thing I want you to get is this. Not only hatred unchecked can give birth to murder, but revenge never solves anything. (laughs) Revenge never solves anything. How many marriages would have stayed together if there wasn't for the anger issue and, and the bitter issue and the revenge issue? How many relationships could be resolved today if, if folks could get over the hatred and the anger and the bitterness? How many relationships could be restored? If you think about this tonight, our the mentality of, of our world, our world's philosophy is this. And you know, it's, when I say it, you're going to know it's right. They say, don't get mad, just get even. <laughs> That's the world's mentality. Somebody punch you in the mouth, you punch you in the mouth. Somebody hits you in the eye, you hit them in the eye. Somebody knock your tooth out, you're going to knock our tooth out. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus said something about that. We might even read about that here in just a few minutes. But you know what? The Christian way, you know what it should be? The Christian way. Now, I ain't talking about my way. I ain't talking about your way. Well, I'd do this and I'd do that. It really don't matter. What's God want us to do? The Christian way is faith and forgiveness. Amen. <laughs> say, well, preacher, you don't know what happened to me. Well, listen, you say, well, now, wait a minute. Amnon, what he did to Tamar, Absalom, he was justified in killing Amnon. He took matters into his own hands. You know what our responsibility is? You know, somebody hurts us, somebody does something to us. We want to see, man, we want that. Man, I, 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 I don't get mad, I'm just going to get even. And you get that mentality. And you want to see somebody fall. You want to see somebody hurt as bad as you've been hurt. Yeah, man. That's where we are. Say, preacher, I'm doing good. You better put it on credit. Gonna come a time, man. Somebody is gonna stick you. Somebody's gonna do something to you. Somebody's gonna say something. There's gonna something's gonna happen. You're gonna get overlooked with a job. Uh, something's gonna happen in your life with a relationship. Uh, maybe employment. Maybe family. I mean, your heart's gonna get broken. And if you're not careful and you don't demonstrate. Faith and forgiveness, that stuff, just like a smoldering inferno, it ain't going to get better. It ain't going to make you better. It's going to end up making you bitter if you don't demonstrate faith and forgiveness. That's the Christian way. Now, the world's way, they've got a different philosophy there, but we ain't, we ain't really interested as God's people about what the world thinks. We're interested in what God says. What does God expect from you and I as a Christian, there are several things that I'm going to give you tonight on the subject of, of hatred, being anger, and trying to level revenge on somebody because God has a lot to say. And we're going to dive over into the New Testament. You might say, when a preacher, what is the product or, or what produces hatred? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to speculate where it comes from. The Bible said Galatians chapter number 5 and verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. That word manifest is really just made known. It's clear. 
So he's going to talk about, now of course you'd read later on, he talks about the fruit singular, not fruits plural, but fruit, fruit singular of the Spirit. But before he gets to the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about the works of the flesh. Where does hatred come from? Where does it originate at? Well, the Bible said in Galatians 5, 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest or made known. Which are these? Now he lay out a long list. Adultery. Fornication, that's sexual sins. That word fornication in our Bible comes from the Greek word pornea, which we get our English word pornography from those sexual sins. What is that? That ain't a work of the Spirit, man. That's a work of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. Notice this next one hatred. Did you get it? Hatred, go on, variance, emulations, wrath, there's the, the slow smoldering burn, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders. I mean, you got hatred, you got wrath, and now you, you see the progression on down to murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Other which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, wait a minute. Somebody says now, now, preach, you mean tell me that somebody that commits adultery, they'll not inherit the kingdom of God? David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't lost when he committed sin with Bathsheba. David will be in heaven. I'll see him one day. What is that verse talking about? They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I'll tell you what this means. Those that habitually, habitually are involved in the works of the flesh, and that's all that characterizes their life. They're constantly in adultery and in uncleanness and in lasciviousness, constantly got hatred in their heart and wrath on their mind, and seditions and always striving, all these things going on. If that's continual, that is a product of a lost man and a lost woman. Those that habitually, now don't tell me you can't get into any of these sins because we're still in the flesh, man. Listen, my soul saved that this old flesh is wicked, please, and I give it to you quite often. Don't ever say, well, I would never do that because if you ain't careful, you'll find yourself doing that because you got this old wicked, corrupt flesh. Now, you can sin and you can get forgiveness. Amen. David was an adulterer. Noah was a drunkard. Peter was a hothead. But guess what? He got right with God. He went out and wept bitterly when he denied the Lord. And God used him on the day of Pentecost. Over 3,000 got saved on that day. God didn't throw him away when he sinned. But Peter learned his lesson, repented, turned from that sin to the Lord. But that crowd that continues to live in sin habitually, and it don't bother them. The Bible talks about all learned Timothy having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It don't bother them anymore whatsoever. That crowd doing that are on their way to to hell. You say, well, man, that's awful strong, preacher. That's what the Bible said. Those habitually that do those things, well, they just got backslid for the last 20 years. Come on, man. They need to be born again. Yeah, man. David was out of the will of God for a year, but God dealt with his heart, and he got right 
with the Lord. But what, what, where does hatred come from? Well, it's the work of the flesh. Now, I want you to listen to the promise that, that the Lord said in the book of Romans. Now, we're dealing with hatred, and we're dealing with this wrath stuff, and I'll be done in a moment. But listen, folks, this is where we live. You might not deal with it now. All of us, if you, most of us got some age on us, and there's been things that people have done, and you got to guard against this hatred stuff. You got to guard against it. I'm talking, man, uh, it'll get down into the gable end of your soul. Romans 12, think of it. We've seen the product of hatred, it's the work of the flesh. But I want you to notice the promise of hatred here in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Now, this is what the Lord said, Romans 12, 17. He said, recompense to no man evil for evil. Now, what's that mean? It goes back to the point that Jesus made on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter number 5, where he said, you have heard an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. I mean, somebody hits you in the eye, you're going to hit them back. Jesus said, and the Word of God said here in verse number 17 of Romans 12, recompense to no man evil for evil. All right, somebody done something wrong to you. That don't mean you retaliate. That's what he said. He said, recompense to no man evil for evil. Now, the world's philosophy is going to say, well, don't get mad, just get even. But the Word of God said, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Now, God put verse 18 in here for a reason. If it be possible as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, you know this is a fact. There's some men and there's some women that you can live more peaceably with than with others. Now, is that not a true statement? Amen. Well, God said, look, if somebody does something to you, don't you render evil for them. Don't, don't do that. He said, as much as life in you, if it's possible, live peaceably with all men. But verse 19, here's a promise that the Lord made. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. And that's, that's the idea. Don't, don't, don't try to get revenge on somebody. He said, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. In other words, you got wrath over here sitting ready, and man, you're ready to pour this wrath on it. And Absalom, that's what he did to Anna for two years. He gave a place to wrath, and here it was. And finally, when that day came, he let him have it all. And God said, don't do that. Listen to what he said. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. What should be our Christian responsibility? I won't hurt them as bad as they hurt me, preacher. Well, listen, you better leave that up to God. Because that hatred comes, that wrath comes, and it'll lead to murder. Oh, yeah, I'm talking about some evil thoughts go through your mind when somebody does something to you or your family or somebody that you love. Things happen. And listen, we're not minimizing sin, and I'm not lessening what anybody went through. There's some things uh, that some kids shouldn't ever have to deal with. There's some, sp- there's some things that spouses should never have to deal with. But I'm telling you, on the authority of the Word of God, if you want to be all that God wants you to be, you're going to have to turn loose of some of that junk that's got you just drugged down for years and years and years. That hatred and that anger has turned into bitterness. It's robbing you joy. It's robbing you fellowship. It's robbing you worship. Boy, it'd be a good night on a Wednesday evening here at Faith Community Baptist Church and you might be listening at home and maybe there's something harboring in your heart. It'd be a good night to just turn it loose and let it go and let God have it. 
Give that place a rest somewhere else. God made a promise. He said, leave it up to me. What's my responsibility, preacher? You can take that verse right there and the word of God, the context. What should be my responsibility as a child of God when it comes to revenge and hatred and and trying to get even with somebody? Well, just understand that if we're going to have that mentality, it's a product of the works of the flesh. But God made a promise. God said, listen, let me take care of that. So our responsibility is to demonstrate faith. And forgives. Faith in what? Faith that God's going to do what he... And I promise you this. I, I may not... I, listen, I won't always do what I say I'm going to do. You probably ain't always going to do what you say you're going to do. You might intend to, but you might... Something may hinder you from doing that. But when God said he's going to do something, mark it down, brother. Mark it down. He'll do it. And he gave a promise. But notice the process. What's the process of it? I told you we might read about this, and I think I'm going to Matthew chapter number 5. And uh, verse number uh, 43. Now, this Sermon on the Mount, listen to what he said. Now, we, we look at what, where, where, does this, where does this hatred and wrath and bitterness, all this stuff come from? Well, it comes from the work of the flesh. God made a promise. He said, don't avenge yourself. Don't, don't you give that place to wrath. Get rid of that thing. He said, man, I'm going to repay. There's the promise. But notice the, the process of it. How, how do you do it? Well, notice here in verse number 43. And boy, this, this is hard. But this is what God said we're to do. Verse 43 of Matthew 5, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Now, verse 44 said, But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Watch this now, it gets better. Bless them that curse you. Oh, even better, do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, that's the polar opposite, Brother Harold, of what our flesh wants to do. <laughs> you mean to tell me, preacher, that i got to do good under the fellow that's trying to do evil to me? You mean I'm supposed to pray for that fellow that despises me and persecutes me? You mean i got to be kind to him? That's what God said. That's the process. So, well, you've heard that you can love your neighbor, but hate your enemy, but the Lord said, man, you're to love your enemies. You're to bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I've often used this as a, as a good litmus test. We hang up. They got these new digital things. You know, we didn't ever have any of that growing up. I don't remember. You used to have just regular thermometer and you outside. I think we go to Illinois, there's a, you look out the window, there's a thermometer there sitting and you see what temperature is. Now they got these digital doodads that you buy and, of course, probably even something else now, but I'm way, way behind time. But you stick that little thing outside underneath the garage or whatever, and then you, then you put this little dial inside the house and, man, it'll show you relative humidity. It'll show you the heat. Man, it's been hot the last couple of days, I can tell you that. But it'll show you all that stuff. You can tell what temperature is. If you really want to test, now stay with me right here. I may even close on this point. I doubt it, but we might. If you really want to test your spiritual temperature, how do we respond when people do things they shouldn't do to us? When people persecute us, people curse us, do we do good to them? Do we bless them? Do we pray for them? And I'll tell you this, I've encouraged some folks to do this, um, and I try to do it myself. 
If you ever get to the point in your life where somebody may get on uh, or maybe you're mad at, try praying for them. Just, just, just give, me, give me seven days. Seven days you being honest with God. Don't pray some Nehemiah prayer, man, like the hammer of God just has come down on you now. But I mean, if you'll pray, and, you, and you're fervent about that thing, maybe you're mad at someone, I don't want to pray for them, preacher. You need to, man. Because if you've got that attitude, you can, you can check your spiritual thermometer. Well, wait a minute, preacher, I read my Bible. Wait a minute, preacher, I pray. Wait a minute, preacher, I come to church. Man, I come to Sunday school. I, I'm here every time the doors are open. That ain't a real, real test of your spiritual temperature. The real test of your spiritual temperature is when somebody does something to you. Amen. How do we respond? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Man, I'm going to let them have it. I ain't going to get mad. I'm going to get even. If you've got that mentality, you're not following the Spirit of God. You're not following the Holy Spirit. You're following a hellish spirit. God said we're to pray for them. You know, I've learned this. I ain't Sister Savannah, you come on. i still got about three more points, but we'll get that later. I think about this a lot of times, and, uh, and I've used it in my own life, and I'm telling you it'll help you if you'll pray. But you've got to be honest with God. Because here's the reality. There's probably not a one of us in here. If you're, if you're over, I don't know, they ain't really little ones in here. Most of this are our adult crowd. But as you get older... You go back, and there's probably been not just one, there's probably multiple times where every one of us at some point or the other have been hurt. Not by our own fault. Man, we didn't do anything. Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. But regardless, somebody done something to us. So, and again, I'm not condoning sin. I don't know what happened. I'm not minimizing that at all. I'm just saying what is my responsibility as a child of God? Are we to act like Absalom? Absolutely not. We are not to take matters into our own hands. You see, we are to trust God with faith, and we are to have forgiveness to that individual. Well, why should I do that, preacher? Well, you've got to remember, you go to the book of Ephesians, and it's chapter number 4, about verse number 31 and 32. It talks about us, our let all bitterness and wrath and all that stuff be put away from you. And he said, let us forgive one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. Based on our forgiveness, did I deserve forgiveness? Absolutely not. But God extended mercy and grace to me. That's exactly what God wants us to do to others that have wronged us, that's cursed us, that's done evil to us, that spoke down to us. It's our responsibility. Now, it's up to us. It's sort of like salvation. It's a choice that a man, woman, boy, or girl is going to have to come to in their life. You're going to be confronted with it. You're going to say yes to Jesus or you're going to say no to Jesus. If you say yes, man, thank God there's a mansion. Thank God there's a heaven. But if you say no, there is a hell. Well, there's still decisions to make after you get saved. And one of them is right here when it comes to forgiveness. I can choose to do, God, what you ask me to do. Or I can harbor this stuff. But when you harbor that stuff and you don't do what God asked you to do, there's some things that are attached to you. Loss of joy. You see, you can't lose your salvation. Psalm 51, that verse number 12, David didn't say, Restore my salvation unto me. He said, Restore the joy of thy salvation. He had lost his joy because of sin. And man, there's going to come a time. Maybe you're doing good right now. Friend, and if you're in ministry, if you're, if you're in war, I mean, 
There's going to be somebody maybe stepped over you at work. Maybe somebody cut you off. Maybe a bicycle got in front of you, son, come to church. I'm telling you, I really, I think the devil puts him in front of me if I ever had to go to the hospital on Sunday morning. This is one of my things, but I have to get right with God before I come in here. Now, this ain't popular preaching, but it's right where we live. Right where we live. But the ball's in our court. It's up to me. It's up to you. Would you trust God? Would you say, God, help me. Lord, there's somebody that has hurt me so bad, preacher, you, you just don't know. And I don't know. But listen, I, I, I'm just challenging you right now. Give me seven days. Seven days. You be honest with yourself and you be honest with God. Say, God, I want to pray for this individual that's hurt me. And if you'll do that fervently, you'll do that sincerely, God will change your attitude toward them. Amen. He'll do it. It's, it's happened to me before. Well, you pray for folks. And, and listen, God, God will give you a sweet spirit around them when you get in tune with God. And boy, you can get joy. You can get, you can get revival. You can get recovered. You can get restored. You might, you might hear the choir singing like you've never heard them sing before. You might hear the preaching pre preacher preach like you ain't never heard him before. When there's nothing between you and the Savior. But the ball's in our court. It's up to us. What you going to do? You're going to trust God. You're going to believe God. You're going to leave it up to Him. He said, hey, don't avenge others. He said, let me take care of that. I'll recompense. Don't you recompense evil for evil. Now, tonight, I understand it's Wednesday night as we're standing all over the house. I understand it. I get it. This is where God directed our heart for this hour. I don't know the needs. May it just been for me. Man, I've struggled in this department. Who's God put on your mind? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe two or three folks have been on your mind tonight. Somebody's hurt you. Somebody has done something to you. Preacher, you won't understand. That's okay. That's between you and God. But if you'll call out their name, listen, just try it. I'm telling you, it'll change. It'll change your life. It'll change your perspective. Well, preacher, they don't deserve forgiveness. Well, I didn't either, and you didn't, but God saw fit to extend mercy and grace to me. You got a need, folks, are still coming. Hello, friends. This is Brian Poindexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church, located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry has been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service. And every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat and meet service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, 
many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you're loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask him to save you. You might say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, and if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them, if you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sin. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. 
Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here. And may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.